Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hi, hi. So exciting news. We're getting some, what do we call it? Advertising, not, right? Not products. Not products. <laughs> uh, but we are going to get some advertising. And in order to help us out, it would be awesome if you could click the link uh, in the description of this episode. Fill out a little survey so we know what we so we know what you want, uh, so the advertisements uh, can actually be worthwhile and not drive you completely insane. And the information is confidential. We don't take emails or names or anything. You're not going to get on any kind of weird list or anything like that. Yeah. It just helps us out. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves and enjoy this episode. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel. You know that. And that's Marcus Parks. You know that, too. Yes, they do, Marcus. (laughs) All right, we got so much. What the hell happened this week? Jesus Christ. Good. Yeah. So much. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump, the Republican president of the United States, has said that he doesn't care about due process in regards to arresting people uh, over their Second Amendment rights. At first. <laughs> At first. <laughs> At first you arrest them and then we talk about due process. Uh-huh. Absolutely phenomenal conversation. If you have a chance to watch the whole um, meeting, uh, it is on C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. It's must-see C-SPAN TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is phenomenal to watch him talking to, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, Feinstein is right next to him. Cornyn's right next to him. And he's talking about uh, he wants a comprehensive uh, bill on guns. And he says, you guys get together. You guys talk to each other. Get a beautiful bill. Big bill. I say comprehensive. Some people, they don't like the word comprehensive. I like the word comprehensive. <laughs> I think it's big. It's beautiful. Big, beautiful bill. Ah! You guys go together. You work together. Okay? So you guys come together. And everyone just sits there like it's... Like, they have to pretend it's normal. Uh, it is just absolutely insane. Uh, so Donald Trump, everyone everyone said Obama's coming for your guns. Everyone said every uh, left-leaning politician, every Democrat is coming for your guns. And it turns out uh, Donald Trump is the only president in U.S. history to recommend coming for your guns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gun sales have plummeted since Donald well, they, Trump came into office. Which is so ironic. I mean, I think they're down by a third. Uh, it's insane how much gun sales have dropped down. And, yes, he's actually saying, 
I'm coming for your guns. The United right. States government's coming for your guns, but then well, the NRA yanked his chain. Yes, he did have a meeting with the NRA, and after that meeting, uh, he changed his tune a little bit. However, uh, we are still talking about arming teachers, so it's all <laughs> going on the right track. Yeah, that's what Donald Trump is doing. I mean, again and again, he's pulling the curtain back on D.C. because all of these politicians, they know better than to talk shit about the NRA. They know better than to go out and say, like, oh, I think you're all scared of the NRA, because they know that meeting with the NRA is coming and they Absolutely. know the NRA is going to yank their chain and Donald Trump laid it all out for us. He showed us exactly how it happens. You go out because you go out, you say something about guns, the NRA does the fucking meeting and they yank the chain and then you go completely back on it. I mean, it was insane to watch this happen in real time, day by day by day. Ultimate transparency. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? We'll talk a little bit about what's going on with Jared Kushner. He got his uh, his top secret security clearance. He's been demoted mm. because of a series of conflicts of interest, specifically regarding the Kushner Company's tower on 666 Fifth Avenue. 666. Which they always, it's the only time they give a, uh, an address. Every <laughs> single time there's an article about 666 Fifth Avenue, they give the address. Oh, yeah. I think they're trying to tell us something. <laughs> Interestingly enough, it's $1.2 bucks in debt. Uh, he met with the former prime minister of Qatar. I'm going to call him HBJ because his name is something I can bar barely pronounce uh, everyday American names, <laughs> uh, let alone his. Uh, he also met with a few of the Russians and uh, some other individuals uh, overseas. He has a lot of ties uh, with his company still, but yet he's still in the White House. Therefore, there's a lot of uh, compromising situations that he might find himself in, specifically when his company is desperate for cash. Uh, it's uh, it's just you can't separate the two. Mm -hmm. And obviously he's having a difficult time talking about or separating uh, personal business with the uh, needs of the American people and the United States government. So he has been demoted. He's just I think now he's just secure. He gets like he's still he's still he's going to get some info. Yeah, but they're not going to tell him exactly where the aliens are or anything <laughs> like that. We also have the Trump tariff. I mean, this pissed off. Everyone, Donald Trump was a Democrat this week. That was the craziest thing about it. I mean, he's since changed his positions. Mm -hmm. He's going back to the powers that control him. But the steel and aluminum tariffs, uh, Donald Trump proposed that. His, uh, Gary Cohn's absolutely livid. A lot of Republicans are super pissed off. This was actually tried by uh, W. Bush as well in 2002. Didn't go great. Mm -hmm. But so we have some very recent history uh, that we can talk about and point to and look at. When it comes to these uh, tariffs, do they help out the American people or do they, uh, at the end of the day, lead uh, to more job loss? Although the steel industry tends to get a little bit of a bump, but the surrounding industries don't do nearly as well. And it seems to have a negative impact overall on our GDP. <clears throat> um, all right. So let's just continue on here talking about what's going on in the Trump White House, specifically this one fella, Sam Nunberg. Ooh. Now, if Did you not know his name yesterday, but very happy I know it today. Sam Nunberg, he gave an interview with Katie Tour on MSNBC, and uh, I guess the only way to describe it is uh, brunch drunk. <laughs> he was, it, it was a strange, uh, Marcus and I have both agreed that he had a two-martini lunch. Uh -huh. He felt a little loose. Uh, he had his six shooters out. He was winking at some waiters. Uh, you know, he was feeling pretty confident. He gave a phone call to MSNBC while Katie Tour was live on the air 
And my God, did he have a lot to say. Sam Number, just a little context. Uh, November 1st, uh, 2015, he was very close. He's very, very close with his idol, his role model. Mm -hmm, His mentor. Roger Stone. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Uh, Roger Stone's role model was Roy Cohn, who was the lawyer to McCarthy. And now Sam Numberg's role model is Roger Stone. They just, as the Russian doll, uh, 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 you know, uh, opens and opens and opens, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And when I I say smaller in this case, I mean intellectually. (laughs) So Sam (laughs) Bloomberg, uh, he was an age. Uh, he was an aide to Donald Trump at his campaign, very briefly, until Roger Stone uh, was was ousted from the campaign, and therefore he went along with again his mentor, Mr. Stone. He said some fascinating things in this MSNBC interview. So let's just try to unpack this uh, the best we can. Well, I mean, he starts off uh, by saying that. He's not going to answer the subpoenas because okay. there, there's a subpoena that con- there's a subpoena that came in and said that they needed all the Mueller's grand jury needed right. all of these emails from uh, November first, two thousand fifteen, through the campaign. All the emails that he had with Roger Stone and Steve Bannon can and you, everybody else. Can you imagine the memes <laughs> that those three men shared with one another? That would be worth it alone just to see where their sense of humor lies. <laughs> So the Mueller investigation, Robert Mueller and his team issued him a subpoena, uh, which was very recently. Uh, last week, he was on MSNBC saying that the, uh, the Russian investigation is valid. It should continue going forward. And things changed as soon as he realized he was now in the crosshairs. He is supposed to go testify in front of a grand jury on Friday. And judging from the conversation that he had today on national television... <laughs> He might be testifying about something entirely different. Um, <laughs> my goodness. So, yes, Mueller, Mueller requested uh, all the emails from, t- from November 1st of 2015 with Bannon and Roger Stone. And over and over and over again, Sam Numberg says, that's 50 hours of work. That's 80. It's f- it went from 50 to 80 hours. He added another 30 hours. 50 hours of work. 80 hours of work. They want me to do that for what? It's stupid. It's so dumb. That was basically the catalyst or the main uh, reasoning in the start of the conversation of why he didn't want to hand over the emails. Time. It's like the uh, it's like that Twilight Zone episode where the guy just wants to read and he doesn't have any time. It's time, time, and then the world ends and he finally has the time to read all of his books. But you know what happens at the end? Glasses break. He breaks his glasses, and this was Sam Numberg breaking his glasses. <laughs> Uh, he's going to have plenty of time to get those. You're going to get the emails to them at some point. Yeah. So that's what sort of started this conversation going. And then he just goes on to spill many a bean on Donald Trump, his campaign, and where he thought it was going. Number one that I thought was fascinating up top in this interview, he talks about how Donald Trump got into it to destroy Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. And he did a hell of a job of doing that. Goes back to the conversation that we've had previously of the supposed phone call between Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. Did the Clintons want Trump to get in to just mess up the GOP? It's possible. Yeah. He certainly went in. And it's actually very similar to what he did in 2000 with Pat Buchanan and the Reform Party. Mm-hmm. That's in the Roger Stone documentary as well, recall. Yep. Uh, Pat Buchanan only got like one point. F- I actually did better than Pat Buchanan. <laughs> yes. I did better than a white nationalist. Um, uh, so Ro- uh, Trump's whole job in that was to just discredit totally dump all over Pat Buchanan mm-hmm. and uh, you know derail that entire Reform Party movement because Roger Stone felt as if the Reform Party had crossed him and he wanted to get his revenge. So Trump has a history 
of going and being a strong man at the behest of somebody else. So perhaps that was indeed the case. So he's in there, he's destroying Jeb Bush, and then Sam Nunberg says, and if Trump would have lost, well, he said more like, and if Trump would have lost the primary, he probably would have endorsed Hillary. <laughs> uh, he sounded like, uh, I mean, he was he was just erratic and confident, but yeah. also <laughs> horrified. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It was, oh, yeah. He towed that line of just, um, just like, I know what I'm talking about. And meanwhile, <laughs> flames are just beginning to engulf the top of his head. Well, apparently he's a regular contributor to MSNBC. I mean, he seems like the he's the right-wing guy that likes to call into MSNBC. SNBC that sure. thinks he's real clever. Uh-huh. Thinks he's going to be the one that's going to get it over on MSNBC. You know, he's going to get over on these liberal hippies. There they don't is. know what they're talking about. Sam Numberg, though, he knows what he's talking about. He's, he's all about it. So, uh, so he goes on, continues this conversation, still very upset with uh, the fact that he's been um, uh, subpoenaed by the Mueller investigation, and continues on and ends up devolve, uh, divulging. Such a strange amount of information, specifically about how very personal, dramatic stuff, because mm-hmm. there is no drama, Obama. This is all drama, Donnie. Uh, and all, all, it uh, doesn't rhyme, but who cares? <laughs> um, it is all drama in this White House, talking about how Corey Lewandowski was the reason uh, that Roger Stone was ousted from the campaign, of course, then hence himself. So you can imagine Steve Bannon also hated Corey Lewandowski. The emails there would just read. Like, just, it would be so funny to read what these jackasses are saying about another jackass. It would be incredible. And then he goes as far as saying that he does believe there is something with the Russian investigation, and he does believe that there is something that might be tying Donald Trump to the Russians during the 2016 campaign. It was, this, I don't like to curse too much, but I'm going to say it's a mindfuck. <laughs> That's the only way to describe this interview. And Katie Turr, she did a really good job of trying to like just let the man. You could. He was just setting up. He was just setting up his own shotgun. Mm-hmm. He was just putting the bullets in, relaxing a little bit, <laughs> right before uh, he shot himself in the face. Uh, and he even he taunted Mueller. Like he this taunted. Was fascinating. Him. He said. Uh, First of all, he said, I'm not going to go to jail. Well, that was, at the, yeah, that was in the beginning. He was very adamant. Yeah, I'm very not going to go to jail. I, I think she, it would be funny if they arrested yeah, me. Yeah, he said that. I think it would be funny if they arrested me. You know, as someone who has been arrested, it's hilarious. <laughs> the way all your personal freedoms are taken away. They give you a retina scan now, so I have facial recognition. Uh, so they know where I am everywhere I go. Very good. Know, I'm very six good. foot seven, so they already did. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless... Uh, and he's uh, and then he goes on to say, "I think my lawyer's gonna dump me right now." It was as if he had gotten the text in real time, being like, <laughs> "It's over." You know that maybe it was just a thumbs down emoji or something. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And then by the end of it, instead of being a little bit more certain that Mueller would never uh, arrest him, or thinking that that would be a humorous situation, he asked Katie Tour in a very Almost like if Pomeranians could talk after they crapped in the house. <laughs> like, what do you think is going to happen? Like, he was, he asked 
this uh, news anchor what she believes is going to happen to him at this point. Mm-hmm. And she just simply uh, said, that's not up for me to decide and probably nothing great. This is a clip of uh, the oh, anchor. She's God. she's uh, Tur, Katie Tur. She's wrapping the whole thing up. So And she's trying to get in as much as she possibly can before the top of the hour switchover happens. Yep. Uh, this is near the end of the interview where she's just kind of she's rattling off questions. Uh, and uh, these are his responses. Oh, Sam, what? has anybody from the Trump White House contacted you? No. Has the president contacted you? No. Has anybody from Trump's legal team contacted you? No. Has Roger Stone told you not to go talk to the grand jury? No. Has Steve Bannon told you not to go talk to the grand jury? No. Has anybody at all told you not to go talk to the grand jury? I spoke to Steve Bannon for the first time last week after I went in there. And the first and I spoke to him and Steve and I were discussing about how we both feel, Katie, like I'm telling you that Trump may have very well done something during the election. Wow. I don't know what it is. <laughs> All right, there it is. I don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. <laughs> Just that little bombshell dropped towards the end. That was the second time he'd mentioned that, though. Yes. Because he had said it before because she asked him straight wow. up, like, do you think that Donald Trump did something? And then, uh, he, you know, do you think Donald Trump had something to do with any of this? And he pauses for just a second. Like, he's thinking, like, should I say it? Right. Should I do it? And then and just he that goes little this, Tito's vodka in the back <laughs> of his head was like, I feel like you should say it. Why not? Well, the, it also begs the question, you know, did Roger Stone put him up to this? Yeah, you know, is this because is this, this is stone tactics, man. This is. this is straight up stone tactics. Well, and he actually mentioned that uh, Sam Numberg did in the interview. Um, had Roger Stone still been a part of the campaign during the debates, he mentioned, and I think he was proud of this, how yeah. they would have had Bill Clinton's uh, so uh, so called illegitimate black son there. Yeah. None, none of that has been verified. And that's, and that's not us uh, specifying that. That's what he said. That's Second debate, said. we would have had Bill Clinton's illegitimate black son there. Right. And then he talks about how they would have had the, uh, would have had, uh, the women at the third debate, which they did have, because mm-hmm. that was, of course, after the Access Hollywood grabbed them by uh, the uh, pussy tape. And uh, that was all, that was just scorched earth policy there yep and they did revert back to stone-esque political tactics when your back is against the wall roger stone is the guy Mm -hmm. to call so uh that was just a fascinating interview you can just google sam numberg msnbc listen to the whole thing yourself it's a 15 minute interview it's a 15 minute (laughs) interview and it could have just gone on for hours i could listen to that forever we'll see what happens now going forward he legitimately threatened robert Mueller. they have all the time in the world uh he is is uh, you, you never want to pick a fight with the federal government because it's their job to defeat you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we talked about on the last episode, they have fu- infinite resources. And I'm sure Sam Numberg, who complained that he had to spend $50,000 thus far on legal fees, isn't exactly as wealthy as the FBI. Yeah. So he's going <laughs> to... I. He's going to wake up like that guy after the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, the guy who <laughs> ate the horse crap, and, and just be like, what the... Like, hopefully now Sam Numberg is 
Now he's just on the bender. Now this is where it's <laughs> oh, like, no. call it a day. You just go stay at the bar or go to a different, go to a dive year bar, go to a place in dark, you know, and just just forget the day and then wake up tomorrow and just try to reshuffle the deck a little bit. Just see what you can salvage because my God. Oh yeah, because we're recording this at uh, almost 5 p.m. That interview happened an hour and a half ago. That was fresh news. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, so that's a fascinating interview interview from Sam Numberg. Who knows where it goes uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, Russian collusion scandal. I, you know, it, it seems as if, uh, you know, there, there is a difficult uh, situation to get some of these people to testify. Mueller is having a difficult time with some, getting some of these folks uh, to testify. And if Sam Numberg wanted to make his life any easier, he certainly did not accomplish that goal mm-hmm. today. Again, as Marcus said, I had heard his name before, but it certainly wasn't on the forefront of political conversations. Uh, this was the first time that Marcus heard of his name. And now the whole country knows. This is, you know, when uh, it reminded me as well of when... Um, David Arquette called into Howard Stern after the after he broke up with Courtney Cox, just so trashed and so sad. And they're always kind of sad. And I don't judge people when they're at their lowest. I mean, I get it. You know, you sometimes alcohol really gives you a false confidence, mm. uh, and we all know that. Oh yes. And do. specifically when you're sad and you feel like you have righteous indignation, which is, he was definitely felt like he had. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's in the right here, hundred uh, percent. And I think I'm just we're speculating that he was drunk. I hope for his case yeah. uh, that he was. But anyway, uh, yeah, it'd be horrifying if a man had that poor a judgment. Yes, yeah, sober, sober. Wow. Uh, also, going back a little bit when it comes to White House shakeups, Hope Hicks is gone. Uh, the chief communications uh, director there, 29 years old, communications mm-hmm. director, unbelievable. And what, uh, but now she is gone. And one thing uh, that's important <coughs> to uh, to remember about Hope Hicks, and I saw this in uh, in the Washington Post. So this is not, you know, this is from a left leaning publication. You know, a lot of people try to conflate the interview that Hope Hicks gave with the Robert Mueller team with her resignation. But she had decided weeks before to leave the White yeah. House. That was that those two had nothing to do with each other. It's a it really is a White House in chaos in a lot of ways when it comes to having credible people around Donald Trump at this point. It's uh, John Kelly, obviously, his chief of staff has basically said that he made a deal with the devil, and now he's paying for it. Mm -hmm. Of course, he would have liked to stay with the Homeland Security. Uh, He would have liked to stay the director of that. However, he took this job uh, thinking it might be something a little bit different than what it turned out to be. Mm -hmm. If John Kelly goes, who obviously has had his own uh, recent scandals in the past, mostly with with verbiage, of course, calling dreamers lazy and, uh, you know, a little bit taken out of context, probably something that would have slid a little bit more in the past, but because the larger scope of the Trump administration and their policies towards those individuals, it got a little bit more highlighted. He seems as if he is extremely stressed and extremely over being the White House chief of staff. So I don't know. At some point, I think it's going to be um, the maids. Donald Trump is going to be the maids that he just relies on the most. And I actually think that that might be a great thing. Very similar to House of Cards when he had his barbecue guy who then became a gardener. But then they did have a falling out because Frank Underwood was mean spirited. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about this story. It was uh, reported from NPR and this kind of uh, went under the radar as well. And this is regarding the NRA and uh, the Russians, and I was watching. I was watching C-SPAN, or maybe it was C-SPAN two. There's two of them. 
Isn't that interesting? There's you only are... one Food Network, <laughs> but there's two C-SPANs. You are one of the few Americans who know that. It is fun as hell. <laughs> it is so, it is unbelievably fun. You get to watch all the politicians. They go on there and they do their performances. You know what they do? Talk about nothing. Yeah. They, talk, they quote a lot of lyrics. Bruce Springsteen, I forget who it was. It was a Democrat. He just quoted like all of a Bruce Springsteen song and was like, I'm out. Yeah. What did he talk about? <laughs> he ta- he started talking about guns and then he just quoted Bruce Springsteen and then he was like, peace. And I was like, you, what? <laughs> Mr. Smith went to Washington and quoted nothing but Bruce Springsteen. Anyway, so this is a story here uh, in, regard- in regards to a Kremlin-linked Russian politician who had ties with the NRA. And I was watching C-SPAN, and they were talking about before World War I, the Russians actively uh, supported with, uh, with more traditional means, obviously paper and uh, newspapers and things like that, um, politicians in the United, United States that were isolationists, politicians that wouldn't want to have foreign intervention because obviously that would be a theater that the Russians wanted to continue to dominate when it comes to pre-World War I. And we had a similar situation here when it comes to the NRA. Russian politician Alexander Torshin said his ties to the NRA provided him access to Donald Trump and the opportunity to serve as a foreign election observer in the United States during the 2012 election. Torshin is a prolific Twitter user, logging nearly 150,000 tweets, mostly in Russian. He created this account in 2011, and he has written numerous times about his connections with the National Rifle Association, which he is known, uh, which he is a paid lifetime member of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these revelations come amid news that the FBI is investigating whether Torshin, the deputy governor of the Bank of Russia, illegally funneled money to the NRA to assist the Trump campaign in 2016. I find this to be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that but, was reported months ago. Uh, well, this was from... Or, I mean, the uh, the uh, a couple FBI of, investigating uh, the ties between Russia and the NRA. Yes, this NPR article came out March 1st. Yes. But, I mean, you talk about how does the NRA have all this power? They're giving all this money, but what's the secondary uh, um, sort of... Uh, uh, what, what's the secondary power they wield? Information. Mm-hmm. And if they have information that would uh, make Donald Trump look as if he is somehow, uh, I don't know, colluding with the Russians, whatever it might be, they can use that as, uh, as power and leverage as well. I think that's just absolutely fascinating, this idea that the Russians would funnel mon- money through the NRA. And, of course, let's not forget, Donald Trump got $30 million bucks from the NRA. Mm-hmm. So are they nothing more than a Russian funneling money operation? And, of course, if you're the Kremlin, if you're Vladimir Putin, you want to – I don't know why I pronounced his name like that. Um, <laughs> Putin. It's just one of those words, you know. <laughs> Sounds like it could be a, a beef dish, too. Putin. Putin. Uh, you want more guns in this country. You want to see this uh, the nation – destabilized. Uh, you love the idea of every home having AR-15s. You love the idea of um, of mass shootings and uh, just constantly sowing distrust amongst the American people. So it makes a lot of sense. In a letter to Senator Ron Wyden out of Oregon, he's a Democrat, a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee, the NRA denied any wrongdoing and suggested the FBI is investigating torsion, not the NRA, neither the NRA nor Torsion responded to inquiries from NPR. Investigations by Congress and the Department of Justice have revealed that the Russian government has sought to sharpen political divisions among citizens by amplifying controversial issues. Investigators have expressed concern about Russian links to the NRA, one of the most politically polarizing organizations 
in the United States. There, that's uh, absolute. When it comes to guns, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to these uh, very intense, very partisan, very emotional issues, my God, the Russians understand how we how to wedge, how to create a wedge um, between the American people, and it seems as if. Uh, this might be another example of them doing just that. This is according to one tweet from this guy, Torshin. He says, for 15 years, I've traveled to the U.S. with official delegations and more often privately. In this time, I never heard one bad word about Russia. And he's here with a member of the NRA. Torshin's use of NRA connections to open doors and his 2015 claim to know Trump through the organization raised new questions about the group's connections with Russian officials at a time when the organization is, is being roundly criticized by its opponents and at times the president himself for uh, their opposition to gun control. So I think that's a story that uh, I didn't hear enough people talking about and I think it's absolutely fascinating the idea of um, the Russians, the Kremlin, giving money to the NRA, and we know exactly who what who the politicians are that the NRA then gives that money to. Exactly. I mean, that's the further implication here right. is not just how much money goes into the presidential campaign, but how much money goes into Republicans' pockets. Absolutely. You know? And the NRA is a, it's not like pharmaceutical companies. The NRA is specifically for them. I, I'm I'm trying to think maybe. Um, uh, maybe our fellow, maybe Joe Manchin out of West Virginia took money from the NRA. Maybe, maybe. But other than that, it's all Republicans. Yeah, it really is, and it makes you think about Mitch McConnell's uh, response to the uh, Russian well, election, the election hacking last year. His kind of watered down response, and how he wanted Obama to really put out a watered down uh, statement to uh, all of the states. You know, that just came out. I think this week is McConnell uh, really wanted the administration to pull back on how much we warn the states about like possible Russian interference. Right. So let's go here to Florida just uh, just quickly. Of course, a lot of folks were wondering uh, in the wake of the massacre at Parkland, um, what's going to happen? What, what steps are they going to be taking? The Florida Senate rejected a proposal to ban assault weapons and voted for a measure to arm some of the teachers. Mm. Uh, so they rejected uh, a, all, a downright ban on assault rifles, um, and they decided to arm some teachers weeks after the 17 people were killed in the deadliest high school shooting in U.S. history. An amendment that would have banned assault weapons attached to a wider bill failed on Saturday in a largely party-line vote. In response, again, to those shootings, the vote was 20-17 to 17 against the assault weapons brand, uh, ban, rather. but two Republicans did join the Democrats uh, in that. So I suppose uh, that's a step in the right direction. Although, again, when it comes to the assault rifle ban, we have to be very specific on what weapons we're actually talking about. Mm -hmm. um, the full bill is called the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Act, rolls off the tongue, <laughs> uh, is expected to pass the state Senate today uh, and then go to the Florida House. After the Senate rejected the ban, Stoneman Douglas students, uh, they were pissed. Of course, one tweeted out, Jacqueline Cornyn tweeted out, this breaks my heart, but we will not let this ruin our movement. This is for the kids. Uh, the bill does raise the minimum age. The, the bill does raise the minimum age to buy a rifle or a shotgun to 21 from 18. Bans the use and sale or possession of bump stocks, which were of course used in the Las Vegas massacre. And the bill also includes 400 million dollars in funding for schools to address mental health issues. So there are some good things in the bill. Uh, it is a it is a step 
in a, in a right direction. For the most part, after these massacres have happened, the gun legislation that has been put forward has been to loosen uh, gun restrictions mm-hmm. and to loosen uh, background checks. So this is at least, uh, it looks like a moderate step, to say the least, a small step, to say the least, uh, in the right direction when it comes to um, getting making sure that lunatics who are young, who might have mental uh, issues, don't have AR-15s and the ability to shoot up schools. Positive. Positive. (laughs) There it is. Very positive. And as I was talking about uh, that Wednesday meeting, there were some great ideas. The Dickey Amendment can still just be struck, so then um, we can actually have some funding go go to – Go to understanding what happens when uh, when these massacres happen and what goes on. Um, what are the psychological effects of gun violence? I think we have to have research. Uh, the government should be spending money on that research, but as of uh, because of the Dickey Amendment, uh, they haven't been able to. So they can definitely get some work done there. All right, what else do we got, Marcus? We have the tariff. Ah, the tariff. Yes, indeed. Okay, so let's go on. Donald Trump has, uh, he's sort of um, channeled his inner Bernie Sanders, and he wants to do a tariff, which is something, a steel tariff. He wants to raise it, what is it, 25%, I believe, and aluminum as well. And a lot of people are super pissed off. Beer sales might go, beer prices might go through the roof. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's not good. And, uh, of course, as I mentioned earlier, in 2002, George W. Bush he did a steel tariff as well, raising the, uh, the tariffs from 18 to 30%. And it was originally supposed to remain in, uh, in effect until 2005. The European Union came in and said, this is absolutely horrible. And it stopped in 2003. So it did not get nearly, uh, did not go nearly as well as, um, as W wanted it to. So according to a 2005 review of existing research, all studies on the tariffs quote, find that the cost of the safeguard measures outweighed their benefits in terms of aggregate GDP and employment, as well as having a, uh, what was it, redistributive? Redistributive. Redistributive. Yes. I like that word, redistributive. It's fun. Impact. So basically, we have a fairly recent example in history of what steel tariffs look like, and they don't seem to work, or aluminum tariffs don't seem to work in this global economy. However, this is a a position that Donald Trump has held for a very long time. And this is one of those strange Venn diagram crossovers where Republicans absolutely despise this idea. Oh, yeah. Paul Ryan's and, already came out in opposition of it. And if you are the Republicans, you're like, well, the economy is doing OK. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to kind of not totally hemorrhage uh, seats in the midterm. Um, do we have to do this now? Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of one of the concerns from Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and the like, and of course, Cohen again, uh, Gary Cohen there. But Donald Trump, he seems to want to go forward with it. We'll see if he does. Again, at this point, it's mostly just words, mostly just rhetoric. But if if the past is any indication of what will happen in the present, I don't think it's going to be eco- a economically viable or, or, uh, or help us whatsoever when it comes to our GDP. But uh, that's something that Donald Trump has promised, and that's something he wants to do going forward. It's possible this whole thing is a negotiating tactic with NAFTA. Yes, but the thing is, NAFTA, we can go after the Canadians. I mean, I say, you know. (laughs) Well, it's not just Canada. It's Mexico, too. Of course. But, you know, we're talking about Germany. We're talking about Brazil. We're talking, I mean, we have international trade that has nothing to do with NAFTA. You know. I know. It's not, I'm not saying it's smart. Well, yeah. But (laughs) but that's the thing where he's like, if, if, if. 
the, the, this conversation about he using it for leverage against NAFTA, this is this is so much larger than NAFTA. Yeah, I'm, it wouldn't really make any sense. Oh, so, for you're, so you're saying that you know Donald Trump is short sighted? I don't know what his vision is, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it just doesn't. So it, you're would, saying that Donald Trump doesn't look at the big picture? Yeah, I, <laughs> saying that's totally outside of the realm of possibility that he's just being a moron. Yeah, the tariffs also cost 200,000 jobs, and they're saying these tariffs, uh, President Trump's proposed tariffs on, uh, on imported steel and aluminum, will increase U.S. employment in those sectors by 33,000 jobs, but cost 179,000 jobs in other areas of the economy, according to a new report by the Trade Partnership. Which is uh, which is a consulting firm. Yeah. So you're getting 33, but you're losing 179. Uh, the numbers don't seem to be adding up when it comes to all that. And uh, Paul Ryan again, you know that P90X DVD he has is burning thin because I <laughs> I can just see him at some point. I mean, just just working out like uh, like Bateman did in American Psycho, just <laughs> livid and wondering what the hell he's done with his life and probably wanting to murder a series of people. Well, these things uh, that they. they they sound good, you know, and, you know, and it sounds simple. America we, first. America yeah, first. Course, right? raise, sure. raise tariffs. It gives, you know, more jobs for uh, steel workers. You know, like all this stuff sounds very good and it's very on brand for President Trump. But there are so many micro economies in this in this tariff, like so many micro economies right. that are affected by this. Like I read a, an article in the Weekly Standard where they were talking about uh, F-150 trucks and how uh, F-150 trucks used to be made from steel and now they've switched over to aluminum. Uh -huh. And there are so many, there were a ton of reasons why they switched over to aluminum. And because they switched over to aluminum, it completely changed how they build the truck, where they spend their money on it. And so if the tariffs, you know, if these tariffs come through, then it can completely shatters what they were going for. It completely right. shatters the decisions that they made and switching it from steel to aluminum. I was just looking back at, or if you recall NATO, the first time Donald Trump went overseas to hang out with foreign leaders, and boy, he looked just like one of them. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, uh, when he uh, pushed the guy out of the way. <laughs> what was he? Was a Moroccan president or something like that? That was so horrible. Push the guy but, out of the way and... Uh, Get the jacket straight. Get the jacket straight. <laughs> Looking great. Uh, without Hope Hicks there, I think it's going to be more wrinkled. Evidently, she did uh, do quite a bit of work uh, on his uh, on his clothing, which is uh, disturbing. Um, <laughs> but if you do remember, you know, talking about NATO and how uh, the U.S. does support, uh, you know, the majority of NATO. We give a lot of more money. Trying to sort of renegotiate, you know, the Germans and other allies chipping in a little bit more. Uh, you know, we pay, I think it was 2.3% uh, in most nations. You're supposed to pay around 2%. They pay much lower than that. So perhaps this is another example of him attempting uh, to strong arm these nations. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it is a trade war, there are no wins. There are no, no. victories. Everyone suffers. The goods are going to go up in this country, which are going to hurt the, a lot of the people in rural areas that supported this guy. And I think that's one of the issues that's kind of lost, uh, specifically yeah. when it comes to the globalism rhetoric and all of that kind of stuff coming from that Alex Jones wing. Mm -hmm. uh, when they talk about that, some of the benefits of globalism are cheap goods. And if you look at you know starvation rates all across the world, it's lowest than it's ever been. Obviously, we have a lot of work to do. But there are some benefits to having a more integrated economy uh, with other countries across the globe. One of the things that's really not to be called a globalist. Please don't <laughs> call me a globalist. One of the things this is really going to affect is uh, 
farm equipment. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, like far- and another group of individuals who many of them supported Donald Trump. Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know, with in a family that you know, there's a lot of ranchers and farmers around. Uh, everything's made from steel. Right. Everything. Like absolutely mm. everything, and these, uh, and the farm equipment. I don't think people realize how staggeringly expensive it's it crazy. already is. I mean, a combine Ugh. that's half a million dollars. One combine yep. to half a million dollars. Uh, Unbelievable. And some some of them can go over a million. Like, I mean, these people do not realize how expensive it is to be a farmer absolutely. or a rancher. And these people, and a lot of times farmers and ranchers, they hung, hang on to their livelihood by a thread. Absol- you know, I don't know how they do it. They're one bad season away. Absolutely. A lot of times government subsidies. Yep. You know? <laughs> and like these yep. people, a lot, and uh, insurance, you know, um, they're, they're one bad season away yep. from losing absolutely everything. And if you add just a little bit more on top of that, you know, it's going to wipe out people. It's going gonna, gonna to wipe shit out. You know, if someone needs to replace a plow or something as simple as that, something as small as that, that people think is simple or think is small. Right. But, you know, the difference between, you know, $80,000 and $85,000. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of cash. That is a ton of cash. Right. And, you know, these people are going to be hit hard by people that ostensibly support Trump. Not every farmer and rancher supports Trump. Nope. Uh, I know my parents sure as hell don't, but this is something that he doesn't think about because he does not, he's not in touch with the people at all. He doesn't he, think well, about it Well, he is all. in touch with rhetoric. In rhetoric, and yes, but he's not plays, in touch with people's lives. No, this plays into that, again, that kind of rhetoric, America first, isolationist policies. Uh, but again, you know, if we completely retreat economically, uh, militarily, I don't mind us not being super involved, boots on the ground. Um, by the way, we got to get Saman Arbabi on here soon and talk about what's happening in Iran right now. Yeah. That is talking about economy, and if the economy collapses, let's talk about that in one second. I know a little bit about that because I just spoke with him, uh, and then we can wrap her up. Um, but uh, who's going to fill that power vacuum? And now we have a situation where the Russians are doing exactly that. They are spending way too much once again on military uh, and talking about the Iranians. The Iranians are spending roughly 35% right now wow. on military. Their economy is completely collapsing, unbelievably unsustainable. Who's filling that power vacuum? We have a situation where Donald Trump still refuses to even put the sanctions in on Russia. Everyone agrees it was cyber warfare against us in 2016. They're doing it right now. We're, we're doing Everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make it right. I saw Eric Holder was on Bill Maher uh, last week talking about the sins of uh, the past of the United States. And yes, we have done things yeah. like that for foreign governments, but that doesn't mean when someone does it to us, it's okay. Yeah. Um, it's not a tit-for-tat type of situation. Uh, no. So uh, that's one of the main questions, and we're still exploring what the world looks like when in a Steve Bannon, Donald, with a Steve Bannon and Donald Trump worldview manifesting itself in American politics uh, via American uh, policies. So in Iran, just just quickly here, because we'll get some on in the in the upcoming uh, weeks here. Um, basically, what's happened is starvation. And the rural areas that used to support the regime, that used to uh, support uh, the Ayatollah, uh, they're pissed. So the Iranian Revolution a couple of years back, that was in the urban centers. That was your educated individuals. That was people who wanted religious freedoms. Students. And, and students right. and things yeah. like that. In the rural areas, they're like, we're fine. We have food. We're all right. Now that's completely changed because the economy has collapsed. So you have the situation where the urban anger didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you have the rural people who just want to get some food. So this um, movement that's happening right now in Iran 
does seem to be two-prong, economic and uh, and um, societal. So who knows? This might finally be something where we can see some social change in that region, but it's going to be a long process because they are still the crackdown is still happening, and they just they 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 kill you. Yeah. You know, you do not have you do not protest in Iran. Uh, in the same way that we do here. This isn't something where you walk down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and then end up going to a bar. You go to prison uh, or you get shot. I mean, it's not, a, it's not an activity that they take uh, lightly. It's not fun mm. by any means. And I'm not saying the protesters in this country are fun, but I've had a couple of great times walking down and chanting stuff, and it's a good time to express yourself. Oh, it's yeah. different there than it is here. Yeah, that May Day protest we had like oh, three great. or four years ago, that was fantastic. Yeah, man. I'll t- <laughs> You know, it was so much fun. I marched from Union Square down to the Wall Street Bowl, and then everyone was hanging out. It was awesome. Eddie from the brighter side was at a march. Uh, oh, I forget. Maybe it was a Trump. No, it was a, it was a Black Lives Matters march, uh, uh, obviously protesting police brutality. And uh, he just went to eat in Chinatown afterwards. <laughs> yeah, they, they marched. They marched from 50th down to Chinatown. I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like eating dumplings, and I'm like. Good job. Yeah, no, it was being it was, an activist has made me hungry. <laughs> no, it was great. Like you know, we went over to the protest. We like uh, marched past uh, the Strand, and you know, my buddy Colin, they were there like protesting yep. like union wages and all that. And I stopped and I said hi. Walked around in a circle for a little bit with them and a sympathy strike, uh, and then went along my merry way. And I think that night I got drunk. There you uh, go. And that's protesting in America, or at least back then. I mean, protests now have gotten like you know, Black Lives Matters uh, protests well, have gotten pretty intense you know but they, been very oh, absolutely in yeah, yeah and i'm not trying to uh, yeah. down, downgrade that whatsoever no, of, of course not. and of but. course in this re- in the recent times that we have now as we mentioned on the last episode uh xi jinping the leader of china rewrote the constitution his name is now in the constitution he and mao are the only two names uh in the constitution internet censorship has begun uh even more extreme, they banned the letter N for some reason. What? Uh, I have no idea why. I have no clue why they banned the letter N. Uh, but that has been banned from uh, Russian social or from uh, Chinese social media, rather. Anything referring to him as uh, any any kind of sentences of anger or anything like that, uh, all banned. And now we have a situation where Donald Trump supposedly joked about how uh, maybe we should have that in this country. Maybe America should have a, a president forever. Wouldn't that be nice, president forever? And uh, it would be funny. Everyone on the right is trying to be like, that is just a lark. <laughs> that he, he is like, he is a regular Henny Youngman. But if you look at the picture as a whole, uh, he loves, uh, whether it be uh, uh, Duterte or the uh, the leader Duarte. of Duarte. Someone said Duterte is the it, other day. Is it Duterte? I think it can go either way. Duarte, <laughs> Duterte. He's a horrible human being. We'll just call him scumbag. Yeah. Um, you know, he just loves these strong men so much. And he, you know for a fact he looks at the, the leader of China and just wishes he had that. Mm-hmm. And, again, and that's what's so horrifying when he supposedly, air quote, jokes about how the U.S. should have a president uh, forever. And again, if Obama would have said any oh of this. Oh, my God. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? We'll go o- for their guns first and due process second. Imagine <laughs> Barack Obama saying that. In the same week as he says, maybe it would be good if we had a president for, li- president for imagine. life. Imagine. Just don't Jesus even. Christ. The end, I would be completely in agreement with everyone criticizing like, Obama oh God, if you said terrible. those things. <laughs> good Lord. Um, so I think that's basically the, the news of, uh, this past week here. Um, uh, we'll keep you updated. I think that's basically it, right? A lot of shakeups, a lot of things happening, nothing too tangible yet, specifically on the tariffs. We haven't seen anything, uh, actually go through quite yet. Um, and we'll just continue on. 
following the news uh, the best uh, that we can and giving it to you the best that we know how. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, check out all the shows here on the LPN Network. Find us on social media, Marcus Parks for everything. I'm Ben Kissel uh, on Twitter and Ben Kissel one on Instagram. Keep on sending me pictures of your dogs, oh, specifically yeah. on Instagram. I like to, I find I've lost followers when I retweet hundreds of dogs in, in an hour. <laughs> uh, you also know I'm alone when that happens. <laughs> but thank you all so much for the wonderful response and rate and review this show on iTunes. Let's keep on crushing it. Hail yourselves, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.